Everyone, again, uh, welcome. We haven't met before. My name is Lance Marshall. I am uh, the pastor that leads the gathering uh, community. This is a community of worship here at First United Methodist Church, Fort Worth. And uh, you may not be aware, uh, I'm a normal, I, I, I live, I go places outside of the church. Um, whenever one of y'all sees me out in the world, it's kind of like when you bump into one of your teachers, you're like, whoa, you know, <laughs> just kind of assumed you slept there, you know. <laughs> um, I do, I have a life. Uh, one, of the, one of the most sacred and wonderful parts of my life, I have a routine that's kind of like the basic of my day and my sanity. I'm sure all of us have those little routines, right? That's the grounding of who we are and what we do. And I have a routine, uh, six out of the seven days of the week, I can't, don't have time for it on Sunday, but six out of the seven days of the week I have a routine where I wake up an hour before the rest of my family, uh, which happens to be right around 5.30, but if they got up at 5.30, I'd be up at 4.30. <laughs> I need, like, look, I need an hour, guys. And my wife goes to bed an hour after me, like, she needs the hour. Um, I need this hour, and so I wake up at 5.30 uh, before my son and my wife, it's just me and the dog, just greeting the day. And uh, we go outside and take care of dog priorities. And uh, then we come back inside and I pour a hot cup of coffee. And then I have a routine. This is every single morning. Uh, and if this makes you think less of me as a grown man, then just deal with it. Uh, I pour a hot cup of coffee and I play video games. Uh, specifically, I'm, I'm really into NBA 2K18 right now. Uh, so I play basketball video games. Uh, and while I'm doing so, I listen on my headphones to sports talk radio. And I've done this. My mom calls them my friends on the radio, right? This is my everyday routine. Um, I've done it since I was in high school, right? I get up, I play, uh, play, play video games, and I listen to my friends on the radio. And that habit is particularly good, right? It's particularly rich. It's particularly life-giving during cowboy season because there's nothing better. Uh, the second best thing in the world is sports talk radio after a cowboy's victory the next morning. And the best thing in the world is sports talk radio the morning after a Cowboys loss, which has resulted in a really good sports talk radio for the entirety of my adult life. <laughs> and there's just so much, to, there's so much to get into, right? And I love it. So up at 5.30 in the morning, right, on Tuesday this week, uh, and I'm just so excited that my nest is in my little routine, right? It's going to be my, my coffee and my sports talk radio, my basketball routine. And so... Uh, I, I, I launch into my routine and something happens. Instead of discussing the Cowboys' loss, we are instead, of course, discussing uh, overnight reports of what happened in Las Vegas. Um, you know, this is, I went to bed before any of the violence happened, and so I'm learning about it in the morning. I've just gotten up. This is, I haven't read the paper or anything, because um, I haven't read the paper in 10 years. Um, so <laughs> we're not, I haven't really learned about it. I'm learning about it now, and I'm learning about it in the midst of the way the reports come out in the midst of the chaos, right? You know, reports are a dozen dead and dozens injured, right? And then reports that there's a shooter out loose still, maybe there's two shooters out loose still, and we're trying to figure it all out. And then over the course of the morning as I'm checking back in, the reports are, are coming in. It's more clear that this is now uh, not only mass violence, this is record-breaking mass violence, right? And uh, I'm hearing this, and of course, like my heart's breaking and sinking, right? And it's hurting. Uh, and what's reflect, what I'm reflecting on really deeply is now how often this is a part of my routine, right? Anybody else feeling like this? Like this is a regular part of the routine, right? And this is like, this is a regular part of my morning routine now. It's a regular part of my morning routine to wake up and to, to hear about these uh, events. It's what happened in the morning after Orlando. It's what happened in the afternoon after Newtown. Uh, it's what happened after San Bernardino. It's what happened 
after Boston, it's what happened after riots in Ferguson, right? Like this just this marching beat of uh, violence and recognition. And I'm hearing it. I'm, I'm processing with this community of my friends on the radio, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm engaged once again in this process of recognition and disbelief and grief. Um, I've been doing it with this group of friends on the radio uh, since 16 years ago on a fall day, right? When I was driving into Miss Thompson's government class and they were reflecting a television report that looked like a small plane must have done something in New York, right? Uh, this drumbeat of grief and um, devastation is continuing to take place, and it's not limited just to even this violence, right? I mean, that alone is horrible and terrible, but then we are watching, f- you know, cities be completely flooded out. We're watching fires, tornadoes, floods. Uh, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, uh, of course, we have this, 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 uh, there's a, there's a Facebook thing. Let me know if I'm breaking news to any of you here. Um, we have, we communicate with each other differently than we did before in the past. And so now we have this, uh, we, we kind of go through a march of, uh, of changing our profile pictures and with identification of something where we're standing for a lot of people. Um, we're hashtag stronging a lot of people. We're, we're lending our support. We're sending always to these communities of grief, our thoughts and our prayers. And that's always well and good. And of course, I believe in that, and I'm doing the same. And uh, one of the things that I have witnessed that seems to be more prevalent, maybe, maybe it's just mine, social media feed, maybe it's not yours, but uh, what's becoming increasingly prevalent is uh, communities of people who criticize the act of sending thoughts and prayers, right? And I think it is always well and good to be a vocal reminder that we can send our thoughts and prayers, and yet we can also do more uh, in many cases. That's always a good and well reminder, but what I'm seeing in, in my my online community uh, is, is uh, additional criticism or reflection on the idea of we keep sending a lot of thoughts and prayers, right? And yet, uh, this is a part of our routine. We keep sending a lot of thoughts and prayers, and yet, this is continuing to be a part of our routine. And so, uh, we're stepping away from um, the normal sermon series uh, in all of our services today. Every service at the church is kind of stepping away um, the sanctuary was starting the gospel according to dogs today, and it was real quick on Tuesday. We're like, not this week. Um, <laughs> no, f- no, it's not the week for the Frisbee. Um, and uh, we need to talk a little bit more about um, what it is to have faith and hope, right? What it is to have specifically Christian faith and hope, right? In the face of another tragedy, in the face of another shooting, in the face of another bombing, in the face of another hurricane, in the face of another fire, in the, ca- in the face of another drought, in the case of another breach of our hope and our desire for what the world is versus how we wish it would be, what is it to have Christian faith and hope in a world like that? So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, and I want to specifically give you a little bit more than like Y'all have faith and hope, right? I want to give you something a little bit more meaty meaty to chew on. I want to give you uh, a story to think about. I want to give you a point of reflection to engage with. Uh, For those of you who are um, a voice in the life of a younger person, uh, I want to give you something that you can actually engage them and walk them through to address the question of what is it to have faith and hope uh, in the face of this kind of violence, in the face of this kind of despair, in the face of this kind of very deep recognition that the world is not yet the way that it was promised it was going to be, right? Can we honestly engage in that? Can we honestly recognize that? Can we be the kind of people who can hold up those truths that I believe in a day that will come where this no longer exists, and yet that day is not yet here? Right? Can we own that? Can we claim it? Can we name it? 
Uh, and specifically, we, can we engage in the reality that uh, sometimes we wonder if God's even listening? Right? Can I say that honestly? Can, I, can, we, can we be vulnerable enough to say, like, sometimes we wonder, like, are you listening? Do you care? Are you there? Because these seem like really good opportunities to step in. Right? Just want to acknowledge these seem like really good opportunities to step in. I want you to know that that kind of tension is not only reasonable, that kind of tension is not only faithful, that tension is actually biblical. Right? That frustration saying not only God but Jesus, how come? Right? That is not only faithful, that is not only uh, beneficial, it is also biblical. So I want to talk about that. Uh, I want to give you an example that I hope will be helpful. I hope you would turn. If you brought your own Bibles, uh, if you don't bring your own Bible yet to the gathering, uh, do. Start. If this is your community of faith, if this is a place that is instrumental in your uh, growing in a relationship as a disciple, start bringing it. Um, if you don't have one with you, we have them in the back always. You can also see it on the screen. I ask you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 11. And uh, one of the things that John chapter 11 really helps us engage with, to both kind of to visualize, to think about, is the reminder, right, that Jesus exists as two things. Je two things. Jesus is both completely, totally, 100% human and completely and totally 100% divine. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a noodle twister, right? That's not something you're expected to just get along with your first cup of coffee, right? That takes like at least three. Jesus is both 100% human, 100% divine. Uh, that, that window is very clear in John 11 in the way that it is in a lot of other texts. We're going to start at chapter, uh, verse 17. One of the things that I want you to realize is over the course of his ministry, right? Over the course of his preaching, teaching, talking, healing, getting people to follow him, having dinner with all of these people, Jesus made friends. Recognize that, right? Jesus made friends. Jesus made connections. Jesus, in addition to ministering to all the people of the world that could encounter him, Jesus also formed special human relationships. Uh, one of those human relationships was with a set of siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Siblings that had gone, uh, that had followed, siblings that had listened, siblings that had believed, siblings that he had shared meals with, siblings whose house he visited, people who he came to know, who he liked, who liked him in return, people that were in, right? In addition to being followers, in addition to being believers, in addition to being people who were in on his idea of the kingdom and his promises of what was going to happen, they were also just friends, right? People he cared for, people who cared deeply for him. He was friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus falls ill. Right? Lazarus gets ill. Like, people get ill, right? In a community that doesn't have access to doctors, that doesn't have access to medicine in the way that we do, Lazarus falls ill. And their friend, Jesus, this savior figure, Jesus, this Messiah Jesus, who's gone around healing and saving and working miracles to complete and total strangers and skeptics and people who have done nothing to deserve his work. The Jesus who has done all of this has his friend, Lazarus, his believer, Lazarus, the person who is in on what he's doing, Lazarus, falls sick and dies. Jesus comes to that place. Jesus comes to visit after Lazarus is, Lazarus is dead and buried, and he is too late. We pick up there, chapter 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's particularly important because in their Jewish community, there was this belief that the soul kind of lingered in connection with the body for three days. 
So pointing out that this was four days means like he's dead, right? He's gone. Bethany, which is the city they took place that was t- this was taking place in, was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem, meaning it's close, it's easy to walk to, it's not far away. Many Jews, meaning other members of the community, had come to comfort Martha and Mary, the sister, after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been on time, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had done something, my brother would be alive. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And listen to what he says. Do you believe it? She replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the temple. When Mary arri- or at the tomb, when Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his seat and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had showed up, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you cared enough to be here, he would still be living. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved them. But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Couldn't he have stopped this from happening? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone recovered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, in one of my favorite pieces of scripture ever, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. If any of you are reading the King James Version, it says, Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) All right? Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory. So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. God speaks to us through the reading of scripture. Thanks be to God. The women who have come to know Jesus, the women who have come to see what Jesus is capable of, the women who have heard Jesus's power respond to Jesus with anger and frustration, right? 
If you had been here, if you had done something, this wouldn't have happened. In the same way that those of us who reply to tragedy in our life, if you had been here, if you had done something, this wouldn't have happened. If you had stayed the hand of the gunman, this wouldn't have happened. If you had steered the storm away, this wouldn't have happened. If you had brought the medicine to this place, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, I am mad at you. Don't you care? Don't you care? I'm not just a believer. I'm a friend. You know me. You know him. Why weren't you here? Jesus doesn't explain himself. Jesus doesn't just say, in a way that Jesus usually doesn't. Jesus usually doesn't answer with a question with, interesting that you ask. Um, Jesus doesn't respond in that way. Jesus says, his brother's going to live. And she says, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. This general understanding that had come from the Jewish community, the idea that there was going to be a resurrection of the living or of the dead, just kind of a general thing, completely different. Jesus understands, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the hope that you are looking for. I am the life that was promised to you. I am the solution to the problem that encompasses you. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, they will live even though they die. This grave does not win. This stone does not have the power. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? What you see is death and hopelessness. What I'm showing you is resurrection and life. Do you believe it? And then Jesus goes. Jesus, the man, 100% divine, who knows the plans that lay in place, not just for Lazarus, but for all the world, understands, sees, and knows, but Jesus, the human one, Jesus, the one who has friends, Jesus, the one who makes connections, Jesus, the one who eats and lives and breathes and sleeps and holds babies and eats good food and enjoys the sunshine, just like you and me, goes to this place and he weeps. He sees death and he weeps. He sees grief and he weeps too. It says in the translation that he is deeply disturbed. Another faithful translation of Jesus' actions at the tomb is that he shook with anger. Jesus, the man, shook with anger. He is far from uncaring. He is far from distant. He is far from uninvolved. He is weeping too. You understand? All death, all hopelessness, all despair, all grief is not as it should be in the creation made by God. And every single bit of it makes him weep. The tomb of Lazarus causes him to weep. The shootings in Las Vegas cause him to weep. The genocides on the other part of the globe cause him to weep. The despair and loss of food and security for people around this world, both known and unknown by us, cause him to weep. He cares, he knows, and is present in each and every place. 
and he also says this is not the end. It is not over here. He shakes with anger at the grave, and then he conquers it. Do you understand? The story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha is not just the story of Jesus and three siblings. It is the story of us, the faithful, who see closed tombs and death and despair and pray to our Christ, why weren't you here? This seems like a good one to have shown up for. Am I the only one who's ever prayed that prayer? Why not this one? This one seems pretty worth it. And the Jesus who hears that prayer weeps alongside me. And then he reminds me that this is not the end. That this is not over. When we have faith and hope in a world that seems like it's falling apart, we have faith and hope in Christ. We have the belief that Christ's promises are true. He asks us, I am the resurrection you're looking for. I am the hope you are looking for. I am the promise that this way is not the new way, and I am promising you that it will happen. Do you believe it? Do you dare believe it? In the face of another tragedy, do you dare believe it? In the face of another hurricane, do you dare believe it? In the face of a flood, do you dare believe it? In the face of the resurgence of the possibility of nuclear war, do you dare believe it? I gotta be honest, I don't know how you believe anything else. Is there anything else worth believing in? Is there anything else worth putting your faith and your hope and your life in the hands of than the one who says, I've been there, I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I promise you that this is not the end. And Jesus is not just our hope. Jesus is our model. We are disciples, the Christians, the little Christ, and when we encounter the desperate hospital room, and when we encounter the morgues, and when we encounter the conversations in the wake of the horrible things that happened, like Jesus, we weep. Like Jesus, we grieve. Like Jesus, we are free to shake with uncontrollable anger because the grave is not the way that this is meant to be. And then like Jesus, we speak resurrection into the room. Where others see death, death, we sow life. Where others see hopelessness, we shine a light. Where others see violence, we show a way of peace. Empowered, enabled, and given the way by the Christ, the flesh, the word who came to dwell among us and show us that this way will change. We have hope, we have faith, and we show the rest of the world how to have it too. I said it in my email. Bad news is immense, y'all. And the good news is greater. The grave is powerful, but resurrection reigns. No bullets can stop it. No flood can drown it. No fire can burn it. This promise is the promise for you and everyone you have ever known and everyone you ever will know. And for the world at large, Christ is real. Christ is present. His power is in this room. Just ask and you will find it and you have hope.
now and every day of your life. Amen. Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we are the survivors. We are the survivors of illness. We are the survivors of violence. We are the survivors of unfairness. We are the survivors. And as the community of survivors, O oh Lord, hear from our lips, why weren't you here? Why, God? 58 more people on the news. Why, God, so many more who didn't make the news? Why, God, so many people who yet suffer? Why, God, weren't you here? And remind us, O oh God, that when we ask those words, when we pray those prayers, that you are yet with us, always and everywhere, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus, and through the presence of your Holy Spirit guiding us, supporting us, healing us, encouraging us. God, we grieve in the now but not yet, knowing that your kingdom is coming, and yet in this world, sin and death still have their way. Remind us, O oh God, that you are not indifferent, that you grieve alongside us. And in the face of this grief, you promised us that where the grave abounds, the resurrection rules. Let us live those words. Let us share that truth. And in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, let us pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.